The scripture reading this morning will be t- taken from 1 John chapter 5, verses 11 through 13. 1 John chapter 5, verses 11 through 13. And this is the record that God hath given to us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life, and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. Good morning and welcome again. We're very grateful for your presence. If you are visiting, as always, we encourage you to come back and be with us at every opportunity that you have. We're grateful for a beautiful day, for the opportunity to be together as God's people. It is our prayer that our worship today would be pleasing to God and that it would be encouraging to us. We're going to be looking at 1 John chapter 5, verses 11 through 13, the passage that was read just a moment ago. And as we look at 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, I want to ask the question, what is the greatest blessing that you enjoy in this life? There are a lot of blessings that you and I enjoy on a regular basis. We could enumerate any number of tremendous blessings that come our way on a daily basis. I think about the joy of having a loving family, the great privilege of having faithful friends, and then the freedom that we experience in this country. All of these are tremendous blessings that come to us from Almighty God. But I really believe that the greatest blessing that we can ever enjoy is the blessing of, of eternal life. And in 1 John chapter 5, verses 11 through 13, John, in a very candid way, talks to us about the blessings associated with eternal life in Christ Jesus. And so I want us to look at verses 11 through 13. The first thing I want to do is call your attention to the person of eternal life. And the person of eternal life would be the Son of God. And if you look at verses 11 through 13, some four times John makes reference to Jesus, the Son of God. And as we think about Jesus, the Son of God, the the first thing that I would call your attention to has to do with his passion in dying for us. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 16, John said, By this we know love, because he laid down his life for us. Over and over again, the Bible talks to us about the love of God and the love of Christ. Jesus would say, Greater love has no man than this, than a man lay down his life for his friends. The Bible also says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And so it's well documented. God has loved us. Christ, the son of God, has loved us. As we think about his passion in dying for us, there are really two specific things that I believe that the Bible bears out. And both have to do with the cross. First we think about the shame that he experienced on the cross and then the suffering associated with the cross. Paul would say in Galatians chapter 3 at verse 13 that Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. For it's written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. 
Jesus experienced the shame and the suffering of the cross. In Matthew chapter 27, when Matthew narrates for us the trial and ultimately the death of Jesus, he talks about how the Lord Jesus Christ was scourged. He was literally beaten to death in many respects by a scourge, a whip. He was taunted. The Bible talks about how they spat on him. They ridiculed him. They said, if you're the son of God, prophesy, who hit you? All of these things lend evidence to the shame and the suffering that Jesus experienced for us. The Bible tells us in 1 Peter chapter 2 that Jesus bore our sins in his body on the tree that we being dead unto sin might live unto righteousness. And so we think about the passion of Jesus and the fact that he was willing to die for us. But not only do we think about the great passion of Christ in dying for us, but his purpose in dying for us. Why did Jesus go to the cross? Well, two reasons. Number one, John tells us in 1 John chapter 3, verse 8, that Jesus was manifested to destroy the works of the devil. The devil had destroyed man's relationship with God the Father. Go back to Genesis chapter 3, and you find Satan coming between Adam and Eve and God the Father. The Bible tells us that those who are outside a relationship with God, they are without hope. And thus, in that condition, they're without God. And so Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. The Hebrew writer tells us that Jesus destroyed him who had the power of death. That is the devil. We talk about death and the fact that it has been the enemy of mankind. When man sinned in the garden, he began to die physically, but more importantly, he died spiritually. But then also Jesus came to deliver us from the wages of sin. When you talk about sin and unrighteousness and the redemptive plan, the bottom line is Jesus came to redeem us from the scourge of sin. Without Jesus going to the cross, you and I would have no hope. We would literally be without hope and without God in this world. And yet, Paul would say, in Christ, those who were far off are made near by the blood of Christ. And so Jesus Christ came and literally delivered us from the wages of sin. What are, what are the wages of sin? Well, Paul would say in Romans chapter 6, verse 23, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. And to know that we can experience that. Now, here's what John said in 1 John chapter 5, verse 12. He said, he who has the Son has life. And we think about the life that is associated with the Son. And the fact that he is the person of eternal life. It is through him and in him that we have any hope whatsoever. But now I want you to think with me in the second place about the place of eternal life. Where is the place of eternal life? Well, John tells us it is in 
the Son of God. And so listen to him in 1 John chapter 5, verse 11. This is the testimony, this is the record that God has given us eternal life and he said this life is in his Son. In verse 12 he said, he who has the Son has life. He who has not the Son of God does not have life. So, where then do the apostles place eternal life? Well, they place it in Christ. You see, salvation is in Christ Jesus. Paul would say in 2 Timothy chapter 2 at verse 10, Therefore I endure all things for the elect's sake, that they may obtain salvation, which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. So here's a question. If salvation is in Christ, how then do we get into Christ? There is only one way that I know the Bible tells us or teaches us that we can get into Christ, and that is through baptism. When we're baptized into Christ, then we become a part of his spiritual body. Furthermore, we enjoy all of the blessings and favors that are in Christ. Now, having said that, let me call attention to a couple of passages. In Romans chapter 6, verse 3, Paul said, Know ye not that all we who are baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? When we are baptized, we are baptized into the death of God's only Son. Now somebody might ask the question, why do we, why do we need to be baptized into the death of God's only Son? Well, where did Jesus shed his blood? The Bible says Jesus shed his blood in death. John 19, verse 34. If Jesus shed his blood in death and we need his blood to wash away our sins, then what we have to do is go to the place where we can contact that blood. And Paul says we contact it when? When we're baptized. So, we're baptized into the death of Christ. But then also in Galatians chapter 3, Paul would say we are all sons of God by faith in Christ Jesus. By that system of faith, that is by the gospel of Christ, by the law of Christ, we come to understand that we are lost and dying in sin. The Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We recognize that we need a Savior. And so based on that recognition, we develop faith in Almighty God. How important is faith? Well, the Bible says without faith, it's impossible to be well-pleasing to God. Faith comes as a result of hearing, hearing by the word of God, Romans 10, 17. So we come to believe and understand that Jesus is who he claims to be, that is the divine son of God. Then we willingly repent of every sin. In other words, we say, I'm not gonna live a life of sin and unrighteousness any longer. I'm not gonna be a part of the devil's army. I'm not gonna live under his sway. I'm not gonna allow him to control my life any longer. So I'm going to repent. And then, and then I'm willingly going to confess the name of Christ before other people, just like the eunuch did. The Bible then says we are to be baptized into Christ. Now in Galatians chapter 3, at verse 27, Paul would say, For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Now, you remember the question a moment ago, why do we need to be baptized? Well, the reason we're baptized is so that we might get into Christ. 
Where did we say salvation is located? It's in Christ, 2 Timothy chapter 2 at verse 10. So when we're baptized, we're baptized into the death of Christ. We then contact the blood of Christ. Somebody asked the question, what happens when I'm baptized? What happens when you're baptized? Well, when I am baptized into Christ, I am saved by the blood of Christ. I'm not saved by the water. I'm saved by the blood of Jesus. The Bible says, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, Ephesians 1, 7. The Bible tells us in Revelation chapter 1, verse 5, unto him who loved us and washed us from our sins by his own blood. Now, sometimes people will discount the importance of baptism. They'll say it's not essential. Well, it is essential. Why is it essential? Because when we're baptized, we then contact the blood of Christ. Why are we baptized? Because we have to go where the blood was shed. Where was it shed? In his death. So when we're baptized into Christ, we're baptized into the death of Jesus. Romans 6 verse 3. We then contact the blood that washes away all sins. That's why Ananias said to Saul of Tarsus, as recorded by Luke in Acts chapter 26, or rather Acts 22 verse 16, and now why do you tarry? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Baptism is not an outward sign of an inward faith. You're not saved first and then baptized later. You are saved when you're what? When you're baptized into Christ. Are we saying then that belief is not important? Absolutely not. We just looked at Hebrews chapter 11. We're not saying that repentance is not essential. Peter said in Acts 2 verse 38, repent. We're not saying that confession is not important. The eunuch did that as recorded by Luke in Acts 8 verse 37. We are saying that you have to believe Jesus to be the son of God. You have to repent of your sins, confess his name, and then be baptized. When you do that, what happens? Well, you enjoy forgiveness. Based on what? The blood of Christ. Furthermore, you are then added to the body of Christ. You see, when you're baptized, not only do you contact the blood of Christ, but you are placed in the body of Christ. Now, there are a lot of people in the world today, they misunderstand the importance of the church. And they say, you can be saved outside the church. You can't be saved outside the church any more than you can be saved outside of Christ. Why? Because to be in Christ is to be in the church of Christ. How do I know that? Well, in Acts chapter 2, when those people assembled on Pentecost Day, repented and were baptized into Christ, what happened? Well, the Bible says the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Verse 47. Here's what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13. By one spirit were you all baptized into one body. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 13, simply documents for us that when we are baptized, we are placed in the one body. What's the body? Well, he's the head of the body of the church, Colossians 1, 18. So when we're baptized, we are then placed in the church. Well, if I'm in the church, am I numbered among the saved? Am I numbered among the redeemed? Listen to what Paul said in Ephesians 5, verse 23. Speaking of Christ, he said, he is the savior of the body. Christ is the savior of the body. Can you be saved outside of Jesus? Absolutely not. 
Can you be saved outside the church that Jesus bought and built? Absolutely not. Why? Because the Bible says you have to be in Christ and you have to be in the church of Christ. When you're in Christ, you're in the church. When you're in the church, you're in Christ. And so what we ought to do is be grateful that God has devised what we call the scheme of redemption, that God has made it possible for us to enjoy the blessings and favors of his son. Now listen again to what John said. Those who have the son, they have what? They have life. Why do they have life? Because they are in the son, verse 11. John said, this life is in his son. Those who have the son, they have life. John said, he who does not have the son of God does not have life. If you're not in Christ, then you do not have eternal life. You don't have any spiritual life. If you're not living for Jesus Christ, if he is not your savior, then you're lost. That's what the Bible says. The beauty is that God invites us to enjoy the blessings of salvation. We talk about the greatest blessing. The greatest blessing is eternal life. And the greatest blessing that we could be to others is to share this message with with our friends, our neighbors, our family members, to tell them, look, Christ died for your sins. Christ died for you. He wants you to be saved. Paul would say in 1 Timothy chapter 2 at verse 4 that God would have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. God is interested in saving people. As a matter of fact, God is in the saving business. The whole tenor of scripture is God wants you to be saved. And then in 2 Peter chapter 3 at verse 9, Peter would say, God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So God is interested in you individually enjoying eternal life. But then the third thing I want you to see, the promise of eternal life. What about the promise of eternal life? We're talking now about the the surety of eternal life in and through the Son of God. Listen now to what John said in verse 13. These things I have written to you. Now in verse 11 he said, this is the testimony, this is the record. God has given us a record, a testimony that we call scripture. Can you and I trust or believe what we read in scripture? I hope we can. The psalmist said, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my pathway. How do I know how to live for God? Well, revelation. By the testimony, by the record. How do I know about my relationship with God the Father and Jesus Christ the Son? Well, right here, this record, this testimony. How can I know how to live so that I can get from planet earth to heaven? Well, this record, this testimony. Can I trust this book that I call the Bible? Absolutely. It is the inspired word of Almighty God. Think about how this book has literally transcended time in so many ways. Down through the years, the Bible has been persecuted. It has been been under scrutiny time and again, and yet every time it wins the battle in the heat of the day. The Bible is the inspired word of God. We can believe it, we can trust it, and hopefully and prayerfully, we are living by it. 
but we talk about the promise of eternal life, the surety that we have in and through the Son of God. Two things. First of all, the assurance. The assurance. The affirmation. And the assurance. Listen to what John said again in verse 11. This is the testimony. Listen to him in verse 13. These things I have written to you. Now we talk about the assurance of eternal life, the affirmation of eternal life. I guess first and foremost, we need to cover this idea of the affirmation. John is saying, look, I have taken what the Holy Spirit has given unto me. And I have recorded it in this book that you and I call the Bible. And what I am telling you is true. We have an affirmation that God is promising us eternal life. And he is saying this life is in his son Jesus. Now I asked the question a moment ago, can I believe what scripture says? Absolutely. There are a lot of books that have been penned by man. And there are a lot of good books that are on bookshelves today that are very helpful. The most important book is scripture. When you and I come to the close of our life here on earth, what is it that's gonna really give us peace and security as we near the end of our road here on planet earth? You know what's gonna give us peace and security? This book, this book that we call scripture. There may be a lot of things I wanna read when I come to the close of my life. There may be a lot of, there may be a lot of things that I would want to hear read to me, but most importantly, I want scripture. Because this is the book that affirms for me that everything that I'm doing, everything that I believe in, it's true. It's validated. And so when I close my eyes in death, I can know that I've lived for God and that I have the promise of eternal life. Now, we talk about the affirmation, but then the assurance. Listen to what John said. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, listen to him, that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. Here's my question. Can you know that you have eternal life? Can you know that you are a, that you are a saved, redeemed, cleansed child of God? My answer, absolutely. We're not dealing in think so's and maybe so's. We are dealing with the truth of Almighty God. The Bible says, that it is impossible for God to lie in Hebrews chapter six. Paul said that you and I live in hope of life eternal which God who cannot lie promised before the world began. So God has given us a record. He has affirmed it in his word. We have the promise of eternal life. But then the assurance, can I know as I come to the close of my life here on earth that I have lived a life well spent in his service? Can I know that I am heaven bound? Absolutely. If I didn't know that, if I, if I didn't have that kind of peace and assurance, then my question would be, what good is Christianity? In 2 Corinthians chapter five, the apostle Paul talks about the reality of death. 
He said, for we know that if the earthly house of our tabernacle be dissolved. He's talking about death there. He's talking about laying aside this physical body of flesh. And so he said, we know that if the earthly house of our tabernacle be, dis be dissolved, we have a building of God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Paul, how do you know that? By revelation. What is it that inspires you, that gives you confidence? It's revelation. Can you know that you are saved? Can you know that you have eternal life? Yes. A thousand times over, yes. Listen again to what John said. These things I've written to you that believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know, K-N-O-W, that you may know that you have eternal life. You and I, we ought to go to bed at night knowing we have eternal life. We ought to wake up in the morning knowing that we have eternal life. We ought to live every day knowing that we are bound for the promised land. We talk about all the great blessings we enjoy in this life. And I will freely grant we are blessed beyond measure. It would be difficult for us to itemize all the blessings we enjoy. The greatest blessing to me, to know we have eternal life. To know that when I come to the close of my life here on earth, it is not the end. That I step outside this veil of tears and I am ushered into the presence of Almighty God. As Paul said, to live is Christ, to die is gain. To depart and be with Christ is far better. Look at Paul when he came to the close of his life. When Paul came to the end of the road here on earth, he said, the time of my departure is at hand. I'm already being offered. Paul knew death was imminent. When you read the writings of Paul, let me, let me just ask this question. Do you read about somebody who is voicing concern about the end? Do you read about somebody who seems to have hesitation about what's beyond this veil of tears? No, Paul said, I fought a good fight. I've kept the faith. I've finished the course. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness. Paul is saying, look, I may die. And if death comes, so be it. But I know this. If death does come, I have a crown of righteousness which has been prepared for me by the Lord. So, in closing today, let me, let me ask you this. Do you enjoy the greatest blessing? That's eternal life. If you're not in Christ, then the beauty of this hour is you have the opportunity to come to Christ. You have a golden opportunity today to begin living a life in Christ Jesus. You can be baptized into Christ for the remission of your sins, for the washing away of your sins so that you might enjoy salvation as Jesus said in Mark 16, 16. And then the exhortation, be faithful. The promise is the crown of life, Revelation 2 at verse 10. Maybe you're here today, you're not faithful to the cause of Christ. You know you need to do better. You know, you know that you need to live a faithful life and you haven't been doing that. Well, we can pray with you and for you. And the assurance is that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We want you to come to Christ today. You see, all of us who are here today, we want to go to heaven. I believe that with all my heart. It may be the case that not all of us are bound for the promised land 
but we can all get on board today. If you're not on that caravan headed for heaven, you need to get on that caravan. If your life is not what it ought to be, then we beg, we plead, we urge you today to come to Christ as we stand and sing.